We're committed to responsible innovation. And so part of that is, is it's not about disruption. It's about collaboration. And it's about working with startup, early stage, growth stage, even endurance stage companies and who their stakeholders are in the ecosystem in which they operate. So in the context of healthcare, it's providers, it's payers, it's other large corporations. And so to impact change and to make change, it is creating models, engagement models, business models around collaboration. With all the buzz of new innovations, it's easy to forget that healthcare is a people business in need of technology, not a technology business in need of people. From the organizers of health, we bring you Live at Vive, a podcast where we embark on curious conversations with prominent speakers, experts, and innovators in the trenches of healthcare. Join hosts, Dr. Gotham Gulati, Jessica Shepard, and myself, Jordan Schlain, as we seek to uncover the truth behind the inner workings of our fractured healthcare system and ultimately how we can fix it together. On today's episode, we bring you Chitra Nabat, where we explore the investment landscape for digital health and health tech. Chitra is the global head of health assurance partnerships at General Catalyst, a global venture capital firm. She leads strategic partnerships and the expansion and execution of the firm's health assurance thesis, Chitra is working to empower founders and companies to transform the healthcare industry to help people stay well, bend the cost curve, and make quality care more affordable and accessible. Before her career as a growth strategist, Chitra was the New York-based anchor for Reuters International TV, where her live broadcasts were seen by millions across the world. She is a graduate of Harvard Business School and University of Toronto. I'm your host, Dr. Jordan Schlain. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Vive Podcast. I'm joined with my co-host, Dr. Gotham Gulati and, and Chitra Nabat, who is the Global Head of Health Assurance Partnerships at General Catalyst. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're excited to learn what that title means and what, what your key interests are. So maybe we should just jump right in. You work for General Catalyst and General Catalyst is a investment firm under the category of venture capital, different than private equity and, and other types of things. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about General Catalyst for the listeners out there that, that may not know uh, much about venture or, or specific healthcare-focused venture firms. Sure. General Catalyst is a 20-plus-year-old investor in the venture capital sphere. And what that means is we invest in early-stage growth and endurance companies. We invest in enterprise, fintech, consumer, healthcare. A significant portion of our portfolio is in healthcare. And one of the things the firm prides itself on and deep DNA in is being a builder, working very intimately with our portfolio companies in terms of helping them you know, build, develop, grow, evolve their business operations, their business models. And one of the things that also too that sets apart General Catalyst is uh, this notion of collaboration. And we believe that in any ecosystem in which we operate, whether it's fintech, consumer, enterprise, and healthcare, especially healthcare, since this is Vive, so we'll talk about healthcare, I think, a little bit more. Yes, we will. Uh, is um, how do you create impact? And we're committed to responsible innovation. And so part of that is, is it's not about disruption. It's about collaboration. And it's about working with startup, early stage, growth stage, even endurance stage companies 
and who their stakeholders are in the ecosystem in which they operate. So in the context of healthcare, it's providers, it's payers, it's other large corporations. And so to impact change and to make change, it is creating models, engagement models, business models around collaboration. So that's a, a loaded summary there, which I, which I love. But I do want to unpack one word that I've never heard in the context. Endurance. Endurance. I wrote it down. I haven't heard. I've heard of growth stage. I've heard of seed stage. I've heard of early stage. I, I think I know what endurance is, but I, I, I want to know what that is, too, according to General Catalyst. Yeah. And we do seeds, as, as, as you talked about. So early could be, you know, seed or, or hatch. And, and we have a methodology in terms of how General Catalyst hatches companies early stage growth, but endurance are, are more later stage companies. Um, well-established? Well-established, and that's in a couple of different dimensions, right? It's in the context of the company, the context of that particular industry or business model or you know segment of the market that they're going after, but it, it's what we sort of call, you know, and that's sort of our lexicon around how we differentiate companies that are a little bit more later stage. I was kind of hoping for a different definition because VCs typically under, operate under the structure of five to seven to 10 year in terms of life cycle of their investments. I was hoping that we were taking endurance meant taking a long view of some of the investments that you that you get into. But we take a long view on anything, right? Because even for companies that are hatched or early stage, at any stage, I mean, it is still a long view. A company that is even in the quote-unquote endurance uh, sphere, you know, it might not necessarily be, you know, 10, 9, 8 years, but over time, I mean, the underlying part of our DNA and with most, most venture capital firms, but definitely General Catalyst, is being a very patient long-term investor and having the platform, the bandwidth, the resources to really go the distance with our entrepreneurs and our, our companies. And especially the more, quote unquote, disruptive they are, the more cutting edge they are, the more forward thinking that they are. It's a different appetite to go the distance with those companies. Got it. So tell us a little bit about this this title that you have. The So global head implies the world, the whole globe. And health assurance is not... You're funny, Jordan. Uh, I try. <laughs> I, I'm the funniest guy I know. Just ask me. And um, and health assurance is not insurance. So that's not something that we're going to... That we'll talk about. So maybe crack open. I, I have my own definition of assurance. So we're a global firm. And so we invest all over the world, primarily, of course, uh, you know, in the United States when it comes to healthcare. But our lead healthcare investor is actually situated in London. And we've invested in India. We, we have... We invest all over the world. In terms of health assurance and the word assurance, part of the way we think about healthcare is bending the cost curve, making quality care more affordable and accessible. And if you think about the word assurance, right, it's the promise of healthcare. I don't want to use the word guarantee because no one can kind of guarantee anything, but everyone, every human on the planet, right, you know, we're born with um, freedom opportunity, hopefully, or the ability to pursue opportunity. And part of that is some basic human rights. And and I think healthcare should be one of those things. And in some parts of the world and here in the United States, not everyone is entitled to a healthcare or the same level of care, the same level of quality care. What is that minimum baseline that should be afforded and, and offered to everyone? And uh, there's so many gaps, there's so many disparities. And I think part of our commitment is how do we invest and work with companies that want to change healthcare in terms of making healthcare more affordable, 
more accessible, democratic, if you will, in terms of a strong level, a strong base level of quality that's available to everyone. So that's the usage of this word assurance. And in terms of partnerships, I talked a little bit about it earlier. We believe very strongly in collaboration. And so we work very deeply with our portfolio companies and other actors in this ecosystem. So the providers, the payers, the large global companies. So for example, at Walmart, you know, one of our companies, Transcaren, has a an important partnership with Walmart. And so how do we think about all of the participants in this ecosystem and how do we strike the right commercial partnerships, strategic partnerships where values are aligned incentives are aligned. It's not just based on being like a vendor vendee in terms of our portfolio company serving that provider and being a vendor vendee. How do you have very deep alignment of economic interests? And so that's just beyond like a yearly contract or software services contract, right? It is very much about shared values and and long-term incentive alignment. And so we uh, spend a lot of our time thinking through how to bring those participants together to strike the right type of partnerships to create the impact along the lines that I mentioned. And so maybe we could we could take that 30,000 foot explanation and drill go all the way down to the ground level. Could you maybe talk about a specific without maybe naming companies, but a specific partnership where you identified strategic long-term incentives because ultimately I'm guessing that the, the stakeholders didn't see that before you showed up or, or like that was a collaboration where everybody then got to see, ah, if we did this, that's strategically good for us in the long term. Like, is there something we can we can hang that on and, and, sure. and talk about a specific use case? There's a number of strategic partnerships we have out there. And there's a couple that I can even mention the name because, okay, it's, it, because it's public and we're super proud and honored to be a strategic partner to HCA. Uh, largest uh, sure. health system in the country, as well as uh, Jefferson uh, Health in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia. Super proud and super honored to be partners and serving those uh, very distinct organizations. And a little bit in terms of how you know the partnerships work is you know through building deep relationships, you know multi-year relationships over time with uh, some of my colleagues at General Catalyst, um, our managing partner. You know, with the CEOs of those organizations, with the CFO, the CIO, the president of the health system, right? It's multi-stakeholder deep relationships. And what we're doing or what those health systems came to us is, is, hey, you know, can we, can General Catalyst, can we be their innovation thought partner, their innovation strategic partner? Because given what we do at General Catalyst, we're sitting on the present and the future. We're sitting on the edge of technology innovation. And by the way, within healthcare, you know, we invest in core infrastructure companies, data and AI companies, risk and payment companies, for example, like a Olive, workforce transformation companies like a, like a Medley, healthcare service companies like a Cadence or a Thales, consumer experience companies like a Roe or a Tendo. And so we invest in a broad swath of companies through sort of the quote unquote front, middle and back office of, to use traditional terminology of pairs and providers. And so, you know, health system comes to us and say, hey, can we leverage your expertise, leverage not only your innovation methodology, your innovation know-how, but your deep domain in technology, analytics, data, consumer experiences, workflows, all of these different functional dimensions? And can you help us bring in innovation to our health systems, understand the strategic priorities of these health systems, and then help to curate, orchestrate, 
partner to bring in the right subset of portfolio companies from our ecosystem. And by the way, it doesn't have to be from our, our ecosystem. We could tap our entire network to bring the right subject matter experts or the right entrepreneurs or founders to partner with these health systems. And so part of it is, is serving their needs. Part of it is, is also identifying areas where we can maybe co-innovate together, either with our existing companies or new companies. So that sounds... Like, great. I started a software company a long time ago. I'm not going to go into it, but I had to partner with healthcare systems. And that was a while back. It was the most brain damaging exercise like on planet Earth to deal with these people because status quo, like, first of all, you know, getting people to change anything is hard. Like if I asked you to change the way you brush your teeth, it'd be hard for you to do because people just don't, you know. And when you get into hospital systems, you're dealing with like thousands of workflows and work streams that different coding from the nurse to the and, and so like i get how they would want to do that but but the the resistance in the circuit is so rich for lack of a better term once you get past the cio the cfo and the ceo because they all want to do it but once you get down to the weeds like how do you inspire or at least i mean it, it just seems way easier to say than do. And so how do you get down in that level? Because I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that are trying to do partnerships and pilots with healthcare systems and they don't have the access to the CEO and the CIO, but they're talking to somebody in that system who's interested in doing a thing. But I'm just curious, like how do you, you know, down in those weeds, how does, where's the magic? Well, I think though, you know, magic, I, I don't know if it's necessarily magic. I think it's about putting in the hard work. And by the way, the access, like, you know, the access is not like a gift or it's not like easily available, right? Like everyone, no matter who you are, especially even as general catalyst, like we have to earn that access. And what I mean by that is, is building very deep relationships. And frankly, you know, not every CEO or CIO or CFO out there may want to be on this path of sort of transformation, innovation and change, or everyone has a different level of risk appetite or different understanding. We can use the word digital transformation and it means different things to different people. So part of it also too is, is it's not only building the relationships at the top of the house, it's the middle of the house. It's everywhere. It's up and down because, and, and part of that is, is mapping out who are all your stakeholders? Who are all the buyers and the influencers in this decision? How do you align incentives? Why should they do this? And it's not only just, okay, well, hey, it's good for my health system. Lots of things are good for the, my health system or lots of things are good for, good for the patient or good for the employees or the internal constituents, but it doesn't mean people are going to do it. It is a deep mapping of who the stakeholders are, what the incentives are, what are they motivated by, and how what you're offering can fulfill that intersection. I want to go back, and it's related to the question that Jordan asked as well, but but to your definition of assurance, because it was a very loaded definition that sets a really high bar for a lot of organizations and companies in order to meet the, the, the sort of metrics that you're looking for. When it comes to, I mean, companies have been trying this for years. And what's also critical for investment firm is timing. And I'm curious from your perspective, you know, five years before, too soon. Five years after, too late. What is it about the timing now that you're seeing in the marketplace that gives you confidence that taking that approach is is sort of ready for its prime time? And the part two to that is how did COVID, if it did, change that? Well, you just answered, you just actually gave the answer, right? Which is, is Damn it. which is the global <laughs> pandemic was a significant accelerator for this. And I think a couple of things, by the way, you know, General Catalyst you know, and our managing partner, Hemantaneja, you know, just very forward thinking has been very, very forward thinking in healthcare for an extremely long time. And so this was something that this notion of health assurance and partnerships was something that 
that, you know, General Catalyst and he had been cooking for some time. I think sometimes, as, as, as you kind of mentioned, right, timing too early, too late, et cetera. And I think it it is the the ingredients and the environment that was unfolding with the global pandemic, which basically then put a lot of um, extreme pressure, extreme pressure on providers and payers, but especially providers to be able to live, to be able to survive, to be able to serve, to be able to carry and get through the margin pressure and, and all of these kinds of things. Let's just take, for example, to make it specific, labor and workforce transformation. Health system executives will tell you that labor and workforce transformation, especially with the nurse and allied workers, was an issue for some time. But now with all the pressure of what happened during the pandemic, the frontline worker, the criticality, the criticality of the nurse and allied workers, that went through the roof. So it just exacerbated and exaggerated a problem that had existed before, which is A, not being able to have enough talent, access to the talent on a timely basis, also to the level of training of the talent. In some health systems, they talk about not having enough nurse leaders and that being uh, a barrier to their ability to retain junior and mid-level nurses. So that speaks to not only talent acquisition, but upskilling, um, the quality of training that you have, the environment, what are the tasks that the nurse is actually doing? How do you make that a compelling and a positive work experience for the nurse? And what is the career mobility upward? So those issues existed before the pandemic. Bring the pandemic in, this massive pressure, you need these people more so than ever. And now we're still in the pandemic or coming out of the pandemic, depending on how you think about things. And this is now an issue front and center. So therefore, providers, health systems, we need solutions. We can't just go to our traditional solutions before, which are the, you know, the premium nursing agencies and so forth. We need different solutions. And that's where there's a more openness to technology, to analytics, to different sources of talent, to different modes and methodologies in terms of how you train and upskill your talent. Again, I'm specifically talking about nurses and allied workers in this problem set of labor and workforce transformation. But that's an example. Think about virtual care. A lot of health systems and providers talked about virtual care or at-home care, whether it's hospital at home, palliative care at home, whatever the case may be. The pandemic, again, fully exacerbated and exaggerated that, the need to be able to do telehealth and not only just basic level one telehealth, but something more deep because that's what you needed to do because you couldn't reach your people. They couldn't come in. All of the either governmental or restrictions about people being able to you know, move around. And so you need to be able to reach people and provide basic levels of care or even higher levels of care. And so the need for more, quote unquote, telehealth or at-home services virtual. So it just exaggerated and accelerated all of these things and thus opportunity and opportunity not only for our portfolio companies, but opportunity to strike these partnerships because providers want to get to these solutions and solutions at scale in a faster way. Healthcare is oftentimes an industry where they say one thing and mean another thing, right? I, I, I often say, you know, what people say they want versus what they actually do are oftentimes very separate and very different. And I'm curious, how are you learning about what the market wants? Are you guys on the ground having conversations? Are you leveraging the strategic partnerships that you just mentioned in talking to the end constituents? On a weekly basis, on a daily basis, we're talking to like, on a daily basis and a weekly basis, easily talking to, you know, tens of health system executives, you know, primarily C-suite and, and also to other levels, but CIO, chief nursing officer, 
chief medical officer, president, CEO, CFO, head of investments of a health system, the venture arm of a health system. So, you know, we're talking to so many different multi-stakeholders at different levels around different dimensions of whatever their issues are on a daily and weekly basis. And so because you're in that activity, you know, one of the things I think is important for any entrepreneur, regardless of the industry that you're in, is be at the intersection. Find those intersections, find those hyper intersections, something like this conference as an example or others, but even outside of that on a daily basis, be where your buyer and your influencer, where, where do they live? And so for us, for our portfolio companies, it is payers and providers, and that's who we regularly talk to. And so that voice of the market is really instructive. And you know the thing about life is if you listen to the other person, they tell you all you need to know. But the reality is, is this, we want to do a lot of talking and we don't want to listen. And the listening is in the nuances. It's the nuances of what the person says and doesn't say. It's their body language. And it's also pushing in. And sometimes people don't want to ask that follow-up question or they're afraid to ask. Or the health system executive might use an acronym and you don't want to say, hey, you know, I don't really know what that means. Could you help me understand? So part of it is, is, is that humility to want to ask those questions and to learn. But if you ask the questions, that health system executive is giving you so much valuable feedback. And that helps us, frankly, not only inform our portfolio companies and help them evolve and be better partners to health systems, but also it helps general catalysts on the investing side because it helps us in terms of how we develop our investment thesis or what we want to pursue next because it is that market feedback informing what does the provider or payer, what do they want to buy? And by the way, it's not what they want to buy today. It's what are their problem sets and how will that problem evolve the next two, three, five years? Because what you're creating is not to solve today's problem. It has to be agile enough to solve X plus years into the future problem. And I, even a step further, I think it's even beyond just the problem. And one of the things that we're often hit on the head with is, I mean, I'm a doctor, but I also have a business background. And in business school, they teach you to, to solve for problems, right? You build products to solve for problems, but that's not enough. You also have to build experiences designed for people. And the only way to do that and to merge the two is actually be having those conversations to understand how their behaviors and what their sentiments are and how they're going to engage with the stuff that you're well, building and, and I want to jump in real quick because, you know, as scientists, so I'm, I studied philosophy uh, at Berkeley and I studied physiology also at Berkeley. So I, I have these twin backgrounds and, you know, in science and in business, we want to get the answer right. Like, you know, we want to like, here's the problem. And how do you, how do you think in the future? What is the solution to this question that we've asked? But the philosophers actually spend all their time trying to get the question right. They don't care about the answer, but because if you get the wrong question and you get the right answer, I don't really know where you land in the future state. So I think what you're saying, which is really important is when you're talking to these CEOs or these people, A, we have two ears and, and one mouth and we don't use them proportionally, which we need to, A, and B, we actually need to like really make sure that we're asking the right questions and the follow-up questions. And any time somebody says something, they may be trying to ask questions based on a question that's not a root cause fundamental question to even ask. So I do think spending this time on getting these questions right is critical. Absolutely. And actually two things that you both said, you know, so Jordan, in terms of the peel back the layers on the question, but the other thing though, Gautam, is when you talk about, when I, at least when I reference problem, I very much mean and a general catalyst, we very much mean the 360, right? And part of that 360 component is always going to be experience. Because the thing about the thing about uh, 
a digital health company, technology, healthcare startup, et cetera. It's not just only about the technology. When I think about our company, AI Doc, which is artificial intelligence imaging, right? It's not only about providing that so that the radiologist could get better results, faster results, more accurate. Part of that is there is an experience layer of how that doctor is interacting with that technology platform, the information that it, that it's getting, but also experiences is how is that information fed into the processes, the clinician workflows, et cetera, at the health system, which is what our other company, Comura, brings in. People might think of Comura as interoperable platform or operating system, but there is an experience layer because if there's humans touching every dimension of this information to inform from the clinician perspective how they care for the patient. When I think about our company, Transcarent, which sits at the intersection of doctors, providers, as well as corporations and the employee. And so therefore, what is that experience for the employee of a large corporation in getting access to higher quality care at lower cost points? So that creates experience for both the employee as well as the employer. When I think about our company, I was talking about this earlier with labor and workforce transformation, our company Medley, and they are in talent and analytics and platform for nurse and allied workers and nurse and allied worker matching, there's experience there because they're helping the provider find qualified professionals within hours and days as opposed to alternative methodologies, which take days and weeks. And the provider doesn't have that kind of time. So you're providing a better user experience to the provider, but then also too, to that nurse and allied worker who wants to be part of the Medley platform and make his or her services available to providers, that technology and analytics platform also, again, has user experience. So frankly, in every single one of our companies, it's not only about technology functionality or data functionality or workflow functionality. Everything comes with user experience. And part of the opportunity for our entrepreneurs, for our portfolio companies, is thinking about who are all your stakeholders? Who are all the stakeholders touching your product or service? And therefore, what is that user experience dimension should it be to fulfill each of those stakeholders? It reminds me of that phrase. I, I'm probably going to butcher it, but I think you always say it's a. We're not supposed to be a technology company looking for no, people. No, no. So, 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 uh, yeah, so many many people think that healthcare is a technology business looking for people, not a people business looking for technology. And ultimately, it is a people business that needs technology to help with communication architecture, which is you know we we talk about that a lot here on this podcast. How do we make sure that complicated, messy humans communicate with machines that are really good at communicating with machines. And sometimes people and machines don't communicate that well together. And even people to people don't communicate that well together. So technology is just machines and machines that we are like almost with 100% accuracy communicate well together outside of hackers. But, you know, putting the human layer onto this is just messy. And it requires a lot of listening and trying to solve for different cultural backgrounds, different, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds. It's always human to human. You know, Gartner put out this, when I was in a previous life, I worked for a technology services firm and Gartner had put this out. This is maybe like five, six years ago, right? And one of the research experts at Gartner talked about whether you're a B2B business or a B2C business, it is always, even if you're B2B, your message still needs to be able to be consumer centric. So in other words, it's always human to human. So whether your company or your technology, whatever your offering is, whether you are serving the quote unquote front of the house or the clinicians or the quote unquote middle of the house or the quote unquote back of the house, whoever it is you think you're serving, ultimately at the end of the day, on the other side of the equation, 
it is a human. And therefore, it always has to be human to human. And I think that this is a separate topic for another podcast, perhaps. But in terms of, you know, how do you reach your audience? How do you reach your constituent, your stakeholder? It is human to human communication, human to human sales enablement, sales process, human to human methodology, even human to human in the problem solving, because that gets back to Gautam, what you talked about earlier. It's not just you're not just solving the technology dimension of the problem, or the operational dimension or the data dimension. It is the 360. It's It's the EQ, the IQ, the CQ, the cultural quotient. All of it. CQ. What about the GQ? <laughs> Sorry, now that's for a separate. Just had to go there. That's for a. That's separate for the GQ podcast. podcast. Yeah, that's for the GQ podcast. By the way, yeah, you know, style and design, you know, it's part of culture. I guess maybe I don't know. So you're in a position to make a significant impact. I'm curious for you personally, in the context of what you do at General Catalyst, like what excites you the most when you get up in the morning in the terms of the impact that you can have. Service. Every day, we. General, a general catalyst, as well as myself as a representative of our firm, every day we live in the service of people. The service is living in the service of our stakeholders. So whether they are provider stakeholders, provider customers, payer customers, payer stakeholders, the colleagues at our firm, our portfolio companies. But what excites me, you know, every day I think about you know, sort of two dimensions, the customers of General Catalyst and the customers of our portfolio companies, as well as our portfolio companies. And we live in the service of these two constituents. Why? Because it is bringing them together is how we can then make impact. You know, our founders are so committed to each of their different journeys and the impact and the change that they want to make. And it's just so inspiring. And it's really humbling to work with our founders. And you just want to help them succeed. You want to help them succeed in terms of our founders and the leaders that they're becoming and the leaders that they are. You want to help their employees and their team succeed. You want to help the company succeed because they're so sincerely and genuinely committed to their mission and purpose and how they think that that impacts healthcare and that that will make quality care more affordable and accessible. So it's living in the service of the portfolio companies. It's living in the service of the customer who's the payer and the provider. And how do you help them solve their problems? It's living in the service of our employees at General Catalyst who are working together and collaborating to serve those constituents. And of course, our investors, our LPs, who believe in the General Catalyst mission, methodology, and our commitment to responsible innovation. And so in order to serve our LPs through returns, the best thing we can do is serve our portfolio companies and serve their customers who are also our customers. But it's really about making a difference and making an impact. And that's what excites me where, you know, it doesn't feel like work because you're you're genuinely committed to serving these people accomplish their objectives. I think your portfolio companies are very lucky to have you as their guide and, and their advocate. So. Did that sound too um too hokey? But it's it's no. It's true. I, no listen, it's, I, I, I think it's, it's, I think it, I think it is true. I think it's sometimes said disingenuously, but that was said very authentically. Yeah, yeah. So I, it's nice to hear when people get excited about that. Yeah, versus for, like, for those listening on the show, we could feel the vibe here across. We the, could feel the vibe. The <laughs> because at the end of the day, it goes back to what I said earlier, right? At the end of the day, like life and business, it's about people, right? And it's making a difference with every person that you touch. Well, and I think right? in healthcare, people go into it to help. You're in the service of, you know, you're not taking your giving. Now, obviously, you have to get returns. So you need to have some, there needs to be some financial incentive to solving a, a problem that makes people's lives better and so doing well by doing good. So, you know. Yeah, and at General Kellis, I mean, I, I just think that we just feel so, so fortunate, so honored, so humbled, so blessed that so many folks in the ecosystem view us in a positive way, want to work with us, want to partner so that we can serve and the and bring the best of our 
thought leadership, IP, the best of our resources and to this life and this mission of service. And what moment, teachable moment, could you tell entrepreneurs out there, future founders, founders right now, people building companies, what is the one thing that you see, the mistake that people make? They think it's a sh- part of the shiny object syndrome. They think it's a great idea, but it's a, but it's a, it's a grenade. It's like that thing that people always kind of think is a good idea, but it rarely turns out to be a good idea. What would you advise people out there to avoid doing that they think they should do? Well, I don't know if it's so much about avoid doing or more so things that they should do. And I would maybe just say sort of two things, which is, is nothing beats old-fashioned homework. Doing the homework on, you know, whether it's your company, your employee, maybe you're recruiting someone to your company, new talent, homework on the customer, homework on the buyer, the influencer, or all the stakeholders, or what's really impacting that customer's environment, right? And so I think it's really digging in to do the homework and going not to just sort of level one, level two, you're going down to level five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And it requires spending a lot of time with people, really getting to know them, building very deep relationships, and therefore doing the homework to really learn and understand who's on the other side, so that you can then problem solve, come up with the right solutions, and essentially serve. And I think the other thing is resilience and the ability to recover because there's going to be a lot of no's, right? Whether you have a known brand or an unknown brand, whether you're a VC firm, whether you're an entrepreneur, a startup, it doesn't matter who you are. We've all been on the receiving side of getting a no, right? And so how do you go within yourself or tap your support system to redirect your energy, redirect your attention to recovering and not taking that no, but uh, finding the path, finding the opening or, or being resourceful to create an opening for yourself to go forward. I'm curious to sort of follow on that. Do you have like a Kool-Aid litmus test? Like when somebody's drank too much of their own Kool-Aid, like how do you determine whether something is just not viable in terms of what the founder, I mean, the founder did their homework, but they came up with the wrong answer doing their homework. Or they're making their own assignment, right? In terms of like, this is the only things that I'm going to look for. And I'm going to look for the sort of selective bias. bias, Confirmation bias. I think one quick test is that I think when you think about even when you interact with people or you meet someone for the first time, there's a sense of if there's mutuality. And mutuality means there's there's two people in the conversation and both parties are open to what the other person is saying and both parties are open to new ideas, right? So therefore, is that entrepreneur, is he or she open to feedback or a new idea or considering? And by the way, you don't necessarily have to like embrace the feedback, right? Meaning when I say embrace the feedback, you don't have to go and do whatever the person is telling you to do or what us at General Catalyst might be suggesting, right? But you can recognize in the other person Are they open to sort of listening to what you're saying and taking the good? Or how can some bits and bytes of what you're sharing, how could that be additive to their process, to their methodology, to their creativity, to their solutioning, to whatever it is that they're trying to problem solve for? So sometimes people can be very closed. And I think that that's an indicator in the world of what we are in, of innovation and creation and technology and charting the future, especially the future of healthcare and this notion of collaboration, it is being open to different views and taking the best of that. And how can it help you be better at whatever it is you're doing? I love that. I'm going to end this podcast on a philosophical note by one of my favorite philosophers, not one of many, but it's a German philosopher, Jürgen Habermas. Do you know Jürgen Habermas? He studied critical theory and pragmatism, and his major works address a focus on communicative rationality and the public sphere. And he believed that whenever someone successfully communicates anything to another person, that that person 
understands what was said, that the communication will need to possess very four important qualities. So I'm going to go through the four important qualities according to Habermas. One, it needs to be intelligible. That is, the communication will need to use actual words and follow the actual rules of grammar. Two, both people must accept beforehand that whatever they are talking about is a legitimate conversation to have at all. Number three is there has to be an understanding that both people believe in it is whatever they're saying, not just trying to manipulate each other. And number four, whatever reasoning is used in the conversation needs to correspond with certain values or norms that both people agree upon and understand. So he basically came up with this thesis of how to communicate effectively. And that's kind of what you just said slightly differently. But I, I totally believe that the two people sitting together talking, they need these four fundamental pieces of a conversation you have, and then you can kind of anything can happen but you have to believe in the conversation you're having with the person anyway so thank you for thank joining you so us much. thank you so much until next time thanks thank you thanks for listening if you're still here i'm hoping it's because you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did we'll be releasing new episodes regularly and to stay on top of the hottest topics, simply subscribe to Live at Five wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review. This podcast is a product produced and mixed by Well Played Media in partnership with Health, the organizers of the annual Vive conference. Remember to subscribe. And if you have an idea for a non-boring show in health or medicine, email us your idea at hello at wellplayed.health. Are you interested in seeing and meeting many of the guests we interview on this show? Be sure to check out viveevent.com and join us at next year's conference. See you next time.